friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. I'm going to speak to you out of my appreciation for TV in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, don't know if you've noticed, but we as a, a population across Western culture, there's something about our entertainment that proves to us we are captivated by the strong will. We're captivated by the perseverance and the ability to handle the survive, handle the savvy and to survive. Think about it. There are many TV shows that were out. I don't know as uh, you were coming of age whenever, um, but some of you will have to plug these into Google, but there are many T shows that have been out over the last couple of years that have actually talked about the necessity, uh, the tenacity, the ability to survive. Um, did a little Google search on some of this and found a couple of titles. Uh, I share them with you now. Uh, there was one called Naked and Afraid. Yeah, that's the one that you would watch but never admit to your friends. Yeah, there's one called Out of the Wild. There's a survival show called Worst Case Scenario. Another one called I Survived. Another one called I Should Not Be Alive. Heard of Man vs. Wild, Beyond Survival, and my personal favorite, just the title alone, Fat Guy in the Woods. Not sure. If he's still in the woods, or if he's still fat, maybe one had a way with the other, but that's out there. There's something about us, though, where we are captivated. We love the story. We love the attention. We love finding out, how'd that person make it? How'd they persevere? How'd they get through? How did they handle it? At a base level, how did they survive? Goes up in the title of books that you see in the bookstores, how to, how to make money, how to influence people, how to lead people. It's the same theme. It's just not showing up in a, in a phrase, fat guy in the woods, but it carries. Now, Peter is writing to people who are suffering. They're scattered. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to survive. And Peter, like a good pastor, Peter has a concern Peter has a concern that they're going to be under attack. And when there's an attack in the wild, who gets attacked? The healthy zebra or zebra in the middle of the pack? Nope. The sick ones get attacked. The ones that are scattered get attacked. The suffering ones get attacked. And Peter can see this coming, so he gives a pastoral warning. That's some good news for us this afternoon. Um, if you're attacked by a shark, I cannot guarantee your survival. If a grizzly bear comes after you, I do hope and bless you that you'll make it. Don't give you a foolproof plan this afternoon, but I can tell you on the basis of this text of Scripture, when the lion comes after you, we can know the plan about how we can resist him. So the outline of this could be how to survive a lion attack. With the next slide, you see what Peter gives us right here. How to survive the attack. Well, shepherds got to shepherd well. Everybody together, we got to ask God for help. It's word about staying sober and alert, resisting the enemy, 
and embracing God's grace would be an outline if you wanted it for how to survive an attack. And there's one picture that holds these two different uh, pieces of scripture together this afternoon for us. And the picture is this. It's a picture of a shepherd and sheep living in a flock. This is us. Next slide right here. This is us. The Bible's most common, most popular picture for describing what's happening in this room right now. Sheep in need of a shepherd. Two distinct ideas in this passage of Scripture today. You'll notice in the first five verses, Peter talks about the role of the shepherd in the life of the flock. And then in verses 6 through 11, Peter talks about what it means for the flock to live as the flock of God. That metaphor holds it all together. A shepherd and the sheep holding together in the pasture, being on guard against attack so you can indeed endure and make it through to the end. Let's just take it as it comes to us. The first two verses, they teach us this. They teach us that Christians are sheep in the flock of God. He starts with a so right there at the beginning, which means in light of everything we've discussed so far, in light of suffering, in light of hospitality, in light of persecution, hear what comes next. And he goes on to talk about the need for shepherds to lead the flock. Peter shows us what a good shepherd will sound like here as we get to hear him in these verses. Um, Peter is dramatically downplaying his role in the church. Um, Arguably, he is the chief apostle. He's the one that Jesus looked at in Matthew 16 and says, look, on the basis of your confession, I'm going to build the church. Yet he comes in pretty humbly right here. I appeal as a fellow elder. I appeal as as a witness. chief apostle qualifies himself as a fellow elder. His humility is evident to us. You'll notice his further qualifications. He says, in the past I saw Jesus, and he even tells you what he's looking for in the future in verse 1. He says, I'm eagerly awaiting God's glory. So here's a shepherd, and this shepherd's job is to look after a flock. Let's Let's have a little thought about the sheep. Think about it like this. Um, In the Redeemer community, we really encourage meaningful membership in the local church. Now, why why would we do that? Um, Is is somebody just obsessed with numbers and they just love counting and they just want to count people and say, well, this many people are in or this many people are out? No. On the basis of verses like these, we see this is an idea that runs throughout the Bible And things are going to go best for us as individual sheep. They'll go best with us as a flock if we can self-identify as a a sheep within the flock of God. But this is a decision that nobody can make for us. We have to make this decision for ourselves. And in every aspect of life, we look for people to specialize in caring for different parts of who we are. If you have a car, you probably have a mechanic like a specific person at a specific place to look after a specific piece of the kit of your life, yeah? Um, some of us, we have a dentist. I'm sorry, I'm just playing. Like, like, you might have a dentist, you know? And you might have a dentist that you sought out to look after this specific area of your life. You might have a doctor, a specific man or a specific woman who's going to look after you. If something goes wrong medically, you're not even going to want a general doctor. You're going to want a very specific, a very specialized person 
to be able to look after the care of your life. Around the room, some of us, we have stylists and we have a person or a group of opinions that we consult. We have, uh, we have people at the gym that apparently help us look after our bodies. The question then becomes, who is it that you have chosen to look after your soul? Who is it that we entrust to look after us spiritually and emotionally, to cultivate us, to form us, and to grow our inner person, which as life goes on, we, we come to realize it's the most important part of us in the end. So a word of application for us across the room right here would be, look, if, if you're not a member of a church, not necessarily this church, but a church, who is it then that you've asked to look after your soul? This very important part of you, this, this entire edifice of your, in, of your inner life, who is it that you've, you've told you want to pray for you throughout the week? Who is it you've told you want them to hold you accountable on an emotional and spiritual level? How weird would life be if you had no dentist? How weird would life be if you had no barber? How weird would life be if you had no stylist or no set of opinions to keep up with for how you're going to be formed and shaped? How out of whack and how out of order our inner lives will be then if we don't look for a particular shepherd to lead us. We are indeed sheep in the flock of God. It's an, important, uh, it's an important theme in the Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law comes to him and tells him he's not capable of leading God's people alone. So he tells him, you're going to have to reach out to some other folks. Jethro tells his son-in-law, I love thinking about that interaction, you're going to have to get some other people around. And what do they do? Well, in the Old Testament, we see this idea for a group of men coming together to wait around the Word, to sit at the gate and to help the people of God with the different needs that come up. In the book of Ruth, you actually see it's Boaz who goes to the gate to get some help in processing his life situation from that very group of men. Well, in the New Testament, we see this develop. You have texts of Scripture like 1 Timothy and Titus going on and on and on to tell us that the church then is not ruled by some solo dictator. The church then is ruled by a team of men looking to Jesus as the chief shepherd as they seek to be good under-shepherds, just doing their part to care for the flock of God. We don't want to be a part of a church where there's uh, no ability to push back on the shepherd who's leading the flock. You want good checks and balances. You want him to be on a team of people. You want people to be able to access that team. That's what we're trying to set up here in the Redeemer community. We indeed have it right now. But at the same time, we also don't want the other end of the spectrum where those shepherds, they're just puppets. They're just, they're just incredibly sensitive to the will of the people, willing to let the sheep lead the shepherd. No, we want a tension between the two. Neither one of these is right. There's real authority when it's gentle, kind, and godly. That's what we're after. That leads our attention to the next few verses. You look at verses 2 through 5, you see elders, they're shepherds who report to the chief shepherd. Yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all sheep. we got to care for ourselves enough to entrust this, the care of our souls uh, to a shepherd and to the community of a flock. But, but notice, he wants, Peter wants the shepherd to shepherd the flock of God. It's not the flock of Peter. It's not the, the flock of any other apostle. It's not the flock of any other disciple. It's not the flock of Thomas. It's the flock of God that gets entrusted to 
a man or a group of men to lead for a season. So on the basis of verses 2 through 5, what is a shepherd? What is like a full-time paid shepherd like me? And what are the, the lay shepherds within this community? Like other, other men who God raises up to lead this flock. Men, men like David Brown. Men, men like who are upstairs with the kids right now, Luis Lopez. Men like Andrew Barnett. Who, who, who are they? Well, according to the Bible, being called into this position of leadership, this is not a high position. According to the Bible, this is a position of humility. According to the Bible, this is being called into something that's going to be hard and frustrating. Because according to the Bible, sheep are messy. Sheep will have to often even hurt the shepherd. But it is a position of leadership. You can have the opportunity to lead a large group of people to learn to feed themselves and to look after themselves. It's important that we can remember for Peter, who's actually delivering the teaching to us this afternoon through this text, we remember Peter got his commission to do this very thing from Jesus himself. John chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, Peter runs to Jesus. What does Jesus tell him to do? He says, feed my sheep. Peter must have carried that with him. And when it came time to write to a group of sheep that were scattered about, he writes to encourage the shepherds to get organized, to care for the sheep. And he has some specific encouragements for the sheep as well, how they can work together to fend off the incoming attack. So Peter writes in, you can almost hear him. He's saying, this is my job. I'm to feed the lambs. Part of why we even have this book in our laps today. I want to plead with us all together then to see that this is gentle leadership. It requires me to plead to you. It is pleading. Shepherds care for sheep. And across the room, notice what's going to have to be involved for this. Sheep are vulnerable. And sheep would even need to be vulnerable. Sheep then, sheep aren't intimidating. Think about it with me. Let's just have fun with this for a second. Right? You've never heard of a sports team naming themselves after a sheep. Have you? Right? No. They're going to rip you limb from limb. What? Like, no. Like, these? They're silly. I mean, they're cute. They're, but they're falling all over themselves. Look at them, you know? No, we have sports teams. Like, you know, American, American sports in particular. You have the Detroit Lions. You have the Chicago Bears. You know, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Aren't they, 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 they don't sound ferocious. No, there's, there's a vulnerability and there's a tenderness to them. And in every church, wrapping this idea up, in every church there are going to be three types of people. The first two are okay, and the third they get special attention from the shepherds. Um, in, er, in, er, in every church, um, we have sheep who are God's people. In every church, we have goats well, goats, they think they're sheep, but they're not sheep. They shouldn't be members of the flock, but they're more than welcome to come around the flock. And then, in every church, there are wolves. And the job of a good shepherd, then, isn't to pet wolves, isn't to cultivate a, a close, familial relationship with wolves. No, good shepherds shoot wolves. They at least fend them off. So we think, like, Okay, that's, that's what's going on in a flock. Now, what should I be looking for in the life 
of a shepherd. Here in this church, if you're a member of this church, like what are the things that you should be holding the shepherds of this flock accountable to? And if you're not settling at this church, but you're going to go find another church to settle to, then just hear from God's word a few things to look for in the life of the shepherds. Notice you should, you should look for these three uh, words on what right eldering should look like and feel like. You want to pay attention to their passion. Is, is the person leading the community? Do you have a sense that they're under some sort of duty or compulsion? Peter tells us they, they shouldn't lead under compulsion. This focuses the shepherding on the sheep that God has assigned to the care. Also, as you evaluate my life and as you evaluate the leadership of this church, you should look for pure motivations. You should look for someone that doesn't seem like they're interacting with you for shameful gain. Cross-reference here is helpful to John chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. It gives us the idea of normal people who are doing it for the paycheck that leave when the times get tough. Jesus had to address these guys, and Jesus says, I'm not a hired hand. So when the attacks come, the, the good shepherds are going to stay. When the opportunity to fold comes through, like they're, they're booking train tickets and they're heading out. Yeah. Arguably when COVID comes, when family tragedies come, like well, they're going to they're be the first to go. You know, you're given the idea of these people that, that are in it no matter what the cost and no matter what the fight. So they stay when the cost goes up. Finally, we should look for some right posture. You look at the lives of these men, both when they stand before you from week to week, but also when you see them like walking the kids down the high street and they don't know you can see them. You know, it's like you're looking for someone who's not domineering. Mark chapter 10, we see guys that were into power trips. They, they just wanted to lead because they wanted to lead. There's no concern to care. Finally then, uh, leadership with, within the church is actually pretty easy to come by because elders elder when they don't even have a title. Uh, men like Luis and Andrew who are going to stand before you next week and over the last season have gone through an assessment process and they're ready to be presented to you as shepherds of the flock. Well, they're actually really easy to identify. It doesn't require a lot of head scratching and Bible searching. No, they're... They're eldering the flock when they don't even have the title of it. Because this is the work that God has promised to do. Jesus has promised to build his church. And part of that is raising up the right leadership in the right time. So God makes them present among us. And then the shepherds, they have a collective task of trying to cultivate and form for this over time. Specifically for the men in the room, it would be one of our great desires in this church to have every man at Redeemer, elder qualified and elder ready, whether you're ever called upon for the task or not. So an elder elders, when he doesn't have the title, they're actually pretty easy to spot. That way, when they stand before the body, the body doesn't really have a problem thinking, him? No, the body's realizing. And I've, I, I, I've been to their house. Like, no, he's taken me to coffee. Like, they looked after me. Like, before he was ever in that position, I knew I could just call that family. Pretty easy to come by in the end. On to verses 6 and 7. 
it transitions our focus a little away from the shepherds, and we need to pay attention to them and, and kind of into the life of the flock together. And we haven't forgotten about the shepherds as we make this transition because shepherds are themselves sheep as well. Ezekiel teaches us this. All throughout the book of Ezekiel teaches us this massive theme. You see it present in the New Testament as well. So what do we need to know about us together as a flock? Well, in verses 6 and 7, we see that we, are, we then are a flock who must depend on God to care for us. I find this really comforting that it comes right after teaching on what a shepherd of the flock ought to be. Because if you, as I'm reading the, the, the teaching on the shepherd of the flock, like I, I know just like how I, moody I've been to my wife and to the people closest to me this last week. And I read something like this, and I'm like, man, like sometimes I feel like I barely make the cut for this. And there's all different sorts of people in here coming from all different sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. A church hurt is a real thing. People have been hurt by the leadership of a church before, directly or indirectly impacted by it. And we might hear this and we might see the people that are here today or we might think of people that lead the church in some general way across Western culture and we might be tempted to think, man, I just don't know if I'm up for it. Peter maybe knew something about this. Maybe he really intended to fuse this connection or maybe he meant it in some general way. But he writes to the whole flock all together, like with the shepherds listening and the sheep listening in. And the word is humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. And for any of us that would have anxiety about shepherding at this church or shepherding at God's church around the world, we all together, we can cast those anxieties on Him because He cares for us. It would be a wrong way to read this and think, that's all I'm left with? Like those few guys leading this local church? No, 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 no. We are under shepherds looking to the chief shepherd. And we all together, we take the anxieties, we take the burdens, we take the things that plague our hearts. And we don't just like write them on a slip of paper and try to remember to post them to the Lord. No, the word is that we hurl them upon God with all the strength, with all the might, like taking all that emotion and all that anxiety and we put it to God. We tell Him, this is important. Would you look after me? So that therefore, in verse 6, in light of everything we've said, He's just coming together with the whole thing. He says in verse 7, hurl, take all those anxieties and put those to God. In a general way, the application for us this afternoon, flock, is this. Whatever you're worried about, take that worry to God. Whatever's giving you anxiety, take that to God. And don't take it to Him just wondering, like, does He know? Is He concerned? Take it to Him because He cares for you. Better than any imperfect under-shepherd ever will. The chief shepherd himself. He cares for you. Then he shifts our focus in verses 8 and 9. Out, like we're kind of looking within and then we kind of got to go without. Verses 8 and 9, we, we learn like this flock, it has enemies. It's helpful for me, we don't have to worry about making an enemy of anyone else in the flock because we already have an enemy from without. But the Christian life is lived amongst the flock of God. It's a life that lives in opposition against the power that seeks to deceive and destroy. 
So Peter delivers the point with lots of punchy encouragement. Um, Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Maybe we have that? Yeah. Last time we hear this, uh, it isn't the last time, but a recent time you hear about this lion teaching in Scripture. It goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. So then, the, then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Think about what you can learn from sin, which threatens us from within, and then our lion, the, the lion, which threatens us from without. According to these verses of Scripture, we have something that's going to try to tear us apart as the flock of God, and it's our sin. And sin is predatory, like it hunts and it prowls. Sin is hungry. It is not ambivalent towards you, and it is not ambivalent towards me. It has desires. Sin is dangerous. It intends to rip apart and not to allow for things to hang together. And sin is roaring. Sin is detectable. You can, you can see it. You can identify it. And here's what we're told by Peter in verse 9. Don't just flee, resist. There are people like us all over the world. There are people like us all over the world that are struggling. They're doing this and they're trying to hang together. And Peter directs our attention to them. Peter would have us consider the church living persecuted and scattered lives in different parts of the world. And the author of Scripture says, consider them. Consider how God's being faithful in their situation. Consider how God's holding them together when they're being attacked by their own sin from within and a roaring lion from without. It's really significant whenever Scripture tells you to look somewhere other than Jesus. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11 as we're encouraged to consider the saints that have gone before in the hall of faith. As we look at their lives, we see it wasn't actually the triumphs of their life that encourage us. We see it's actually the, the failures, and the fact they were constantly falling all over themselves. It's the great encouragement because Jesus Christ was true to them and Jesus Christ overcame their weakness. As we look back, we consider if He's overcoming in their situation, surely He can overcome in mine as well. So we're told not just to flee, but to resist. And to resist, we look around. Well, finally then, let's bring this into a conclusion. Gil, why don't you come on up? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, we learn the flock will be protected forever by their chief shepherd. I love where it lands. I personally, as a pastor, I love where this lands because I can take on too much. I can take up on too much burden. I can take on too much responsibility. Not that it just doesn't belong to me in some sense that I'm being noble, but that I can go for too much and then I can take on a savior complex. And I find this verse freeing me up from that. You might be sitting here today in a different circumstance. You might be sitting here with some church hurt from your past. You're thinking like, I gotta I got go in on this. I know I gotta entrust the care of my hair to somebody, but I gotta entrust the care of my soul to this. No, no, no. It is to this. But there's one ruling over and looking over all of this, and it's the chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. I love that he specifies what's going to happen in the end. That this right here, this is, this is a season to make it to the end. And he encourages all of us to come together and to hang together, thinking about the promises that God will do three things. First, God will restore. 
God will come in and He will make new whatever's broken and whatever's damaged. Love the hope that God's going to come in and God's going to make you strong. But where we feel so weak, our battles across this congregation of sheep against sin, our battles are waging. And some of us are weary. And some of us feel all the way pinned back to the shore and like we'll never be able to make another advance again. You need to hear the basis and authority of God's word. God's writing to a group of people that have been suffering and they've been scattering. And the promise is that at the end, God's going to come through and God will make you strong. We fail. We let each other down. I let you down. You're going to let me down. We don't look to one another to make everything right. We look to the chief shepherd who will make firm and who will make steadfast. How will this happen? This will happen both now and this will happen later. That's what you learn in verse 10. Everyone in our culture, we have different people we look to help us with different things. How about somebody to help us with our souls? How about some under shepherds? How about a chief shepherd? How about a group of sheep to run with to be able to tell if we're pacing this right and if we're going at this in the right way? Here's the conclusion. Peter says that for us, our life is like a show. Probably aren't claiming fat guy in the woods across the room, but you think, you know, I survived as a show that might feel pretty real for some of us spiritually. You know, man versus wild might feel pretty real for us in a spiritual sense. Here's the conclusion. Peter is saying our life is like a show. We're getting glimpses of the life that is to come. And the brief flickering is this moment peels back and you can see something more glorious that's been paid for and that's being delivered through. One day, all of creation will shout for joy because the new creation has come. Part of what Peter's saying to us today is that it's going to come through you and me. Living lives of faithfulness, looking to our chief shepherd, holding together, resisting the evil one. And in the beauty of this moment, glory is shining through. This comes from the words of not me, but the man, Peter, whose life happened between Bad Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Peter knew what it was like to be devoured by Satan. He realizes what it is in that position of living on a Bad Friday and needing to hold on to the hope of a Resurrection Sunday. So he gives us this word, and I give it to you now. The God of all grace. He will lift you up. The God of all grace will come into this and he will create a resurrection, a lifting up and exalting and establishing that will bring him great glory and praise and great comfort and goodness into our own lives and souls. Let's trust him together for this. Let's trust him as we pray. Father in heaven, come to you in the name of Jesus needing this to be true for our lives. Needing you to come and needing you to lift us up and needing you to come and raise us up. Father, we know what it is to feel like we live lives that are characterized by a bad Friday, by a brutal crucifixion. We need the the hope and the healing of the resurrection. So we pray, would you deepen us in your love 
would you form us in being able to understand what you're doing in our lives when it feels like we're scattered and we're all, we're all kinds of anything but sorted out? Would you help us and would you lead us? As we have an opportunity to respond now, we pray that you would speak to us in our hearts and our minds. We pray you'd be comforted, we'd be led, we'd be challenged on the spot by our chief shepherd. So again, here we are, Father. Have your way. In Jesus' name.